championship on the line right here. He's going for the corner. He's got it. Hello, welcome to 4th and 5, your Longhorn Nation podcast. I am your host, Will Bazer. I'm joined alongside by Jacob Dedimore and Jason Chilton. And also today we have the wonderful, the Eras- what, is, what do you call him, the Irascible? Irascible, that's the word. Yeah, the, the C is oddly silent. Irascible W.W. McClyde with us today. We're going to be going over the 32-27 win for Texas in Fort Worth over TCU, the Purple Kryptonite has been pushed aside for a year as Texas heads into, as we head into, hate week. The Oklahoma Sooners in Dallas. Texas making another trip up there. Going to hit up west for some kolaches. But before we get into all that, you guys know, as we as I talked about last week, we have a new Discord server and a Patreon. The Discord server is a lot of fun. We have a lot of people on there right now. I don't know the count off the top of my head but uh it is probably a hundred maybe 80 somewhere around there but we've been doing things like film watch like live film watches where you come on and we basically break down the film from the last game and watch the next opponent and answer your questions talk to you guys have a lot of fun there you and i had some uh, fun doing that last night with the tcu game exactly yeah it's now the second week in a row so it's a, tr- it's a tradition at a&m and uh if y'all really do enjoy that, you enjoy the show, you enjoy meeting new Texas fans, talking Texas football, go ahead and join us on the new Discord, which you can find on our Twitter or on Reddit or wherever you can find us. And also, if you really do like the show and you like that, please join our Patreon. It really does help support the show. Uh, and again, Patreon is a way for you to subscribe to our content. It, it don't You don't really get anything new from it, but it does. I mean, you do, will get a t-shirt, you get more access to us but it helps us morally it helps us i don't i don't think anything equipment. helps us morally <laughs> no it might actually hurt us morally but please please give us money <laughs> this is uh just so folks understand this is going to be a fun ride today um yeah this is kind of the unofficial barking carnival unplugged reunion uh with jason myself and Mr. McClyde, Craig Douglas, and we're going to be having some fun today because it's Red River Showdown week and OU sucks. All right, guys, I'm going to go ahead and do that one video. You remember that video where it's like, what do you hate about Tennessee fans? And they low down, they dirty, they some snitches. Give me three things you hate. Like you legit hate about Oklahoma and the OU Sooners. You, you guys, you guys jumping, jumping at the bit to get on this one. right? <laughs> you here. want us to narrow it down to three things. I mean, good God. That's there's such a list there. Yeah, they're, they're, <laughs> they're, their players can bludgeon their friends with baseball bats. And then I have to watch them uh, do color on Texas broadcasts. That's yeah, one. Yeah, there, there's one right off the bat since we're talking about the TCU game. Um, let's see the fact that uh, you go to the fair to enjoy yourself before the game. And their carny fans are working the midway before they go to the game, so you have to deal with their shit then. Then you have to deal with them in the game. Then you have to deal with them after the game because they get off their lunch break and have to go back to work on the midway. Damn, well, going you, after him. You have to start with Barry Switzer, 
who was the Antichrist. And, um, and then you go to uh, the present day to Toby Keith. And I have a Toby Keith story that I'll tell later. And then you go to, uh, there's somehow, there's, there's some kind of a celestial, I don't know what religion you guys are, but there's some kind of a celestial, broader spiritual celestial. rule. So that, that, Incestual? No, 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 don't. <laughs> this, this is not Arkansas week, Will. Okay. <laughs> this is OU week. I mean, come on, snap to it, son. I mean, there's some kind of a broader rule that if you play quarterback at OU, you have to be the biggest douchebag in the Western Hemisphere. That, that's a that's some kind of a rule. You do have to be. I mean, Spencer Rattler looks like he belongs in solitary. And in any other state, he would be. That it's, is, uh, there we go. That's, that that, that kind of yeah. sums it who's, up there. Who's harder on Spencer Rattler? Craig or the fans, the Oklahoma fans. <laughs> right now, it might be OU fans, but it's a it's a slim margin. <laughs> uh, I mean, he looks like a bad NFT where they tried to combine a bunch of rare traits and they just didn't blend well. <laughs> I, think, I think my son bred a Spencer Rattler in My Singing Monsters last week. <laughs> it, it, it called it. It, it's like a rare ethereal with uh, with like a lot of horns and and just I don't know. It's just you have to explain it. He'll he'll be here I mean, later to explain his explain his. Yeah, we're we're gonna have a gray bus cameo. I guarantee you, this. You don't really have to to stretch to just his like ad hominem attacks on his like physical appearance. Have you ever watched the videos? Have you ever watched the TV shows he was on? He's just not a good no, dude. The, my, Will, my attacks were not ad hominem. <laughs> His attacks were very I, mean, I, I, I am a I am a man of substance. I do not resort <laughs> to ad hominem attacks. I mean, these these go to the heart of who he is. Of course, he walked in the door, I wouldn't know him from Adam. I think he's an Amazon guy, but that's beside the point. <laughs> he is a quarterback for the University of Oklahoma, which means ipso facto, he's a douchebag. And we're off and running. QED. We're, 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 we're good. We're going. All right. So just just to break down, Oklahoma fans are ugly. They are obnoxious. Uh, not not in the Texas way where they have their nose in the air. It's more in the way of just like... Having their nose in the meth. There you go. Oh, no, no, no. We, we are our special kind of asshole here. I mean, like we are... Yeah. We, we, we major in arrogance without the record to back it up, you know, it's, it's all about the size of our endowment. I mean, even though that, I mean, some of us are well endowed, but not all of us. So, <laughs> I mean, we're, we're our own special kind of asshole, but they, 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 they have absolutely nothing to back it up with their outstanding record in football, which just pisses us all off to no end. Yeah. Oh yeah. That's yeah. We're for some reason, yeah, we're, we're for some reason we've, we've somehow landed in the like eighties, like ski movie villain. <laughs> That's unfortunately the Texas fan base. He's, we're the asshole in Hot Dog the movie. Yes. <laughs> whereas, whereas OU is the asshole in Corn Dog, two for twenty tickets. Does Rutger Hauer have a role here? <laughs> I feel I feel like Hobo with the shotgun like covers a lot of OU memes. Yeah, yeah. Te- Texas fans will be handing their tickets to the their tickets to OU fans at the Fletcher stand on Saturday. And that is both a good attack 
on Oklahoma fans and on Texas fans and how they see themselves. By the way, I will drop this in right here just so I can get it out of the way because I don't know where else to put it. But if you want to start some shit at the Cotton Bowl, here's what you do. Because I've seen it happen over and over and over. I had a friend of mine that did this every year for a number of years until he found God and was lost to us forever. And then... (laughs) This is back when they had the troughs, you know, in the men's room at the Cotton Bowl, they had the oh, troughs, yeah. you know, we all line up and piss in the trough. Yeah. Well, we would we'd go to the trough because we always had good seats. We were right there kind of between the 40 and the 30. So we go to the trough closest to the 50 where there'd be some OU fans and everything. So we go to the trough and we'd always position one or two guys behind this guy. So he would go take a leak and he wait until an OU fan stepped up to the trough to take a leak. And he would stand there. He'd be taking a piss. He'd look over at the guy, just kind of just gently go, hey, hey, that's a really nice cock. That's a really <laughs> nice cock. <laughs> and, of course, the guy would just freak the fuck out. I mean, you can imagine. It's some MAGA dude or whatever. I mean, in his polyester or whatever. He makes sure it was like an old guy, like a middle-aged guy. And he would just completely freak out. And we would laugh our asses off, and he'd, he'd say, Oh, you want to fight, or whatever. It, it would just, he would just wither away and just like flee like hell. But it was good for a laugh every year for about 15 years until he found the baby Jesus. And then we had to find other methods of entertainment. <laughs> <laughs> well, speaking of finding, speaking of finding baby Jesus, Texas found theirs with B. John Robinson this past weekend <laughs> and uh, ran him into the dirt. Uh, they, Texas beat TCU 32 to 27 for what feels like the first time in forever, uh, which is really the third time in 10 years, but it felt like the first time in forever, at least the first time in Fort Worth since 2013, which is longer than it should be. That's a hard game for Texas to win any single year. It was an ugly ass win. It was sloppy from Texas from TCU from the refs from the fans. It was just sloppy. It was sloppy, sloppy, sloppy. But Texas pulled out the win, and they did so on the back of B. John Robinson. They absolutely did. It was uh, it was one of those games that I know a lot of Texas fans, at least on the boards and whatnot, are, are not real happy about it. But you know what? You get a win over that fat purple asshole in Fort Worth. You take it. You smile. You go back to Austin. You get ready for next week. That's the bottom line. Because Stone Cold said so. But, um, no, they rode Bijan Robinson like Seabiscuit, and I have no problem with it whatsoever because TCU could not stop him. And Gary Patterson is still butthurt even today about it because he made a comment about Bijan having 35 carries in the game like he's never done that before. Sure, whatever, Gary. It doesn't matter. You couldn't stop the dude. You lost. It's over. It was a, a bit of a frustrating game sometimes. But Sarkeesian and the coaching staff saw what was working. They used it. They found a way to win the game and and move on with things. And I'll take that every time, especially on the road. I think Texas fans, you know, with they, they've been through so much, you know, post-traumatic fan disorder, you know, over the course of the last decade or 11 years now. And with every coaching change, they expect more or less immediate perfection. And when they don't get it, of course, the, mo- the more vocal elements on the boards or whatever are inclined to histronics and you know the world's going to end or widen is happening or whatever. 
And so we've seen a lot of that over the course of the last four weeks, even when they score, you know, 60, 70 points or whatever, they want to know why X, Y, and Z isn't happening. So last week, you know, Bijan got the 35 carries for, what was it, 215, 16 yards. Yep. And, but the focus has been on Casey Thompson's quarterback play. And that's the sin qua non of every Texas football debate is the quarterbacks. So, you know, I'm interested to hear what Jason thinks about that because he, I, I trust him on all things about our about our offensive strategy. And not to mention, I trust you too, Jacob. But you know, you kind of suck. But anyway, but but I <laughs> no, no fair. I, I do fair. I, I do love you like a brother. But but I, I I do think that there's been a lot of talk about Sark having to scheming scheme around his deficiencies or his limitations in the fact that you know Card won the job after the spring and the summer. And then he had to back away from that. And so now what we're seeing is sort of a limited version of the offense that, that Sark perhaps envisioned. Yeah. I, th- I think there's some truth to that. First, just wanted to say, I'm going to step out here when we get a break and uh, get some gold frankincense and myrrh to offer to maybe be John Robinson, <laughs> <laughs> which he, 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 he earned all of that, by the way. I, I would absolutely travel uh, with two other wise men who I guess, I well, I'll, I'll find two wise men and I'll travel to uh, Bethlehem and, and bless baby Bijan with these gifts. Sweet little 72 inch, 214 pound baby yes. Bijan Robinson. I have no problem whatsoever finding him a manger to lay in. Oh, that's, that's that, okay. That, I know somebody put him in a new car last week. He's doing good. That's, 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 that's <laughs> true. Away in a Lexus, no you. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, yeah, t- yeah. Pivoting over to, to Casey Thompson, and uh, I think we're still in the TCU segment. Yeah, I mean, what what you saw from Casey Thompson was overall reasonably effective, but probably you know the the biggest hole in his game that we've seen to this point that we kind of shrugged off after both the Rice and Texas Tech games but you know seems a little more of a trend and a little more you know nervous making considering how close the TCU game ended up was the ability to hit the deep ball and you know some of it's been placement some of it's been just kind of seeming like we should be more concerned about just the baseline arm strength cuz it seems like he really has to rear up and and put everything he has into a throw that's more than 30 yards downfield. But I think that's, you know, that's probably the biggest storyline on Casey Thompson right now. You know, he had his one bad decision, you know, ignoring the fact there were two free defenders down when he was trying to throw a deep ball to, I believe it was worthy. But, you know, decision-making's been pretty good. He's normally kind of stayed on schedule. He's been reasonably decisive. He could probably still pick his spots, you know, and, and be a little more aggressive taken off in the run game. But I think the deep ball is the big question that you have coming out of these, you know, these three starts. And it's one that I think will will rear its head against OU. But uh, I don't know if we're going <laughs> right to OU now or spending more time on the TCU game. But I think that's the biggest takeaway with Casey Thompson at TCU is can he be close to effective, you know, stretching the field and and threatening downfield with some of the weapons that we have. Yeah, just to kind of put some numbers behind what you're saying, uh, this guy on Twitter, the artist formerly known as Dan Wiener, which is a great name, put together a chart basically charting out all of Casey Thompson's throws. And 
when it comes to throws that are beyond 20 yards, Casey Thompson is 3 for 15 for about 80, 85 yards. He has one touchdown and three interceptions. Two of those throws, two of those completions of the three, one was a bad throw to Jordan Whittington, and Jordan Whittington made a hell of a catch on it, basically mossing the TCU defender. And this is all year, by the way. The other one was an overthrow on Josh Moore that, again, Jordan Whittington was right there. Really, he has thrown one good deep ball over the 15 times he's been asked to do it, and that was to Xavier Worthy on a wheel route. It was a great deep ball, and all his other deep balls are just one or two, maybe three yards away from being on target or to the left or right or too far or too short. What is going on with that? Well, I, I guess I guess root cause for me is kind of questionable arm strength and how much of that comes from you know, mechanics that can maybe be fixed, I don't know, about in a week, <laughs> but maybe over the course of the season, <laughs> and how much is just really a baked-in limitation. I don't know. But, the you know, the, the most frustrating thing for me has been, you know, not when he'll miss a little bit when a guy's going on a straight line, sail a little bit where it's easier for the DB to make a play on it. But when we'll have a guy breaking open, kind of coming on the post, and there's nobody else there. Like, he could lay it anywhere and let the guy run underneath it. You could throw five types of ball, and you've got Worthy or Whittington has got the guy absolutely beat. He can run under anything catchable, and that's uncatchable. That <laughs> That is frustrating, and that makes you really kind of wonder, <laughs> can, can this be fixed, and can this be an element of our offense or not? Because... It seems to be a combination of really having to, to put it in and just also not just kind of having that that gauge of when you can just throw anything catchable and your guys got all the room in the world to adjust to it and we're still throwing uncatchable balls. The thing that concerns me is that it it has to be an element of, of Sark's offense because if he's if he's limited enough in his play calling to where he, he is relying so much on the running game and God help us, please, please help him lean on outside zone. I mean, Casey has to hit one or two or three of those balls a game to loosen the things up up front. And if he can't in this game in particular with Grinch's defense choking down as much as they do up front against the run with the, with the safeties and everything else, we could be in big trouble. So while it seems like he's only one or two yards off or a bad or, or, or a receiver makes a bad read or doesn't catch the ball or whatever, one could say on the one hand that odds are that one or two of those hits, but on the other hand, <laughs> I mean, I don't know. It's not like he's demonstrated a, a great facility for completing those passes either. Right. And, I guess kind of what I've seen is I, I, I'm going to throw out the Rice game for a second, okay, because Rice was an inferior opponent. We ran the ball down their throats. Casey didn't really have to do very much that in that game. When you look at the Tech game and then the TCU game, what I saw was I saw a guy who was underthrowing against Texas Tech on some deep shots that were there, 
because he was putting too much air under the ball. He comes into TCU, has a couple of those same opportunities, and he overcompensated a little bit. So what you're saying is versus OU, it's in the middle. It's going to be perfect. (laughs) We hope. But, you know, what I saw was because you notice, I mean, the couple of shots to Joshua Moore in the TCU game, they didn't miss by much, but they did miss. Okay, it was just a yard or two that he just put a little he put a little too much on it. Whereas the week before he was, as Jason described last week, he was doing Jeff Blake throws from 1994 Cincinnati Bengals and throwing mortar shots up and let it And it was it was not going far enough, allowing defenders to make a chance. Well, to right play now, the I ball. just hope Josh Moore he can catch Herbie's and Morez. I mean, that, that's that's. <laughs> yeah, I, I want the best for the kid. We need we need help from him. Yeah, the thing he has to do is just find the sweet spot in the deep throws. But this week, when you look at what OU has been doing defensively, and I know we're going to get into this, the deep shots to me, while would be a nice bonus, are not as important as his ability to be accurate on RPO throws on play action and hitting those intermediate throws like he hit a couple to Whittington on Saturday. One was off target and resulted in a nice gain, but could have been much bigger. The other one resulted in a touchdown that almost put the game away. So if he can find those intermediate throws on some of these RPO action plays, that's going to be the sweet spot against this OU defense. And also, when it comes to his arm strength, it's not just his ability to do the deep throw. It's also some of those intermediate passes, getting it into the window. What we, what you'll see if you watch a guy like Spencer Sanders, yes, he's inconsistent, as we'll talk about later in the show. We keep on hinting that. Yeah, we're, or we're Spencer about Rattler, you know, since we're playing Spencer, Oh, yeah, Spencer Rattler, sorry. I always get those. We're, 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 jumping, we're jumping ahead two weeks to dislike week when we play Oklahoma State. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but Spencer Rattler, he, is a, he was a five-star for a reason, and he has the arm talent for a reason. It's something that you would have gotten from Hudson Card, a guy who can zip the ball a little faster means you can get it into tighter windows. You saw Casey Thompson try to do that twice against TCU, and both times it was almost intercepted because he was unable to get it there just quick enough. However, Casey Thompson was also not helped out by one of his best wide receivers not having a great game in Xavier Worthy. My brother was saying, he was there, saying it was raining a little bit, and I was like, what, is it raining oil? Like, nobody can catch anything out there. It's, It's like everybody's walking around in Greece or at least Xavier Worthy Actually, was. Actually, I, th- I think my, my understanding is that Gary Patterson spent a lot of time by the, the ball bag earlier, so the balls might have all been coated in sweat. Mm. <laughs> mm, that's <laughs> that, a good point. That's also a very distinct possibility. Uh, one thing about Casey Thompson, the one, last thing I'll say about him is, he look, he doesn't have elite arm talent. He doesn't have the arm talent of Hudson Card, or as we're going to see on Saturday, Spencer Rattler. So his technique needs his footwork and his technique needs to be on point because his arm strength isn't bad it's just not elite and so mm-hmm. everything else when he throws the ball needs to be on point so that he can be accurate and have enough on a throw to get it there on time he ain't nick Lelouch, baby <laughs> no he's not but I, but can't. i would but i would love for him to throw a ball in dallas that has a stewardess on it <laughs> <laughs> And it come down, and it come down into the waiting arms of Xavier Worthy, and have that son of a bitch ride right into Deep Ellum, and go to the social and have a cocktail. Agreed. <laughs> why are they call? Why are they calling me meat? I'm driving a covert forward. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Before we get to the defense for TCU, I want to talk to you about two things. Uh, I want to talk about this Oakland, this offensive line, uh, particularly Christian Jones and the insertion of of Carich. I also want to just you know we have we jumped straight past baby B John Robinson. I know we talked a little bit about him, but honestly, can we just talk a little bit about or a lot about that performance? <laughs> he had 216 yards. In that game, all of that on the ground, not 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 adding on what was it he had in the receiving game, twenty two yards on two carries, so he had two hundred and thirty eight yards from the line of scrimmage, and on top of that, hundred and thirty two yards of that came after contact, according to Pro Football Focus, fifteen forced missed tackles versus Texas Tech, he had one hundred and thirty seven yards total. The ability and the balance he has, you can and you can just say that's the balance. The balance allows him to do so much, like take a hit, get lower than the next guy because of his balance, and be able to take a hit or go under tackles. He makes a guy who's coming in at his waist look like he's coming in high. And on top of that, his ability to jump cut and not be afraid of contact, but refuse first contact allows him to take less hard hits, more glancing blows than body blows. And I put this on Twitter, and I, I was thinking about it. We're talking about the last guy who did something like this was Deontay Foreman, where he had something like 35 carries against Texas Tech, and absolutely just almost destroyed him because he is a hard runner. And so everybody's like, oh, well, you know, B. John Robinson, you can't really do that too much. Well, yeah, it's true. But at the same time, the hits that B. John Robinson is taking aren't terribly hard hits comparatively to other running backs because of how he refuses first contact. And when I was watching him, and I'm going on and rambling here, when I was watching him when he was being recruited, I was wondering, is this guy, is he afraid of contact or does he, does he just shy away from contact? No, it's, it's that he refuses contact. And in high school, he was so good that it looked like he was running away from contact. It was just how he runs. He makes you go for his legs. He makes you have a glancing blow, and the jukes, the spins, are just ways to take in a hit like you would catch a baseball or a football a lot softer than forcing your will on another on the tackler. Well, I think you give a really good description of how he runs. And I, <laughs> these guys, in Jason and Jacob have known me forever, and they know I talk about my old man a lot. He's my dad. I refer to him as the old man. And he, and if, if he were alive, he, he would talk about Bajan and he would tell me that he has what he used to call traffic wiggle, which to him was the ability to run into traffic and not shun contact, but benefit from contact in a way that he could bounce off of it, use leverage from it (laughs) and work his way through small holes. Um, using the using the people that are trying to stop him and it's it's a very unique skill among running backs i mean we talk about the greatest running backs in ut history i mean earl was the greatest ricky jamal charles but Bajan, i think is 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 a little bit unique in the way that he in in the way that he gains leverage from the defenders trying to stop him well the thing i was trying to compare I was trying to compare, think of a, somebody that compared to his running style today. And the one I came up with most was not a Texas running back, 
but it was an old Southwest Conference running back. He reminds me so much of Eric Dickerson in how he runs the ball. The combination of speed, power, and moves in the open field is, if you go back and watch highlights, I, I know, Will, this is a little before your time, but I know Jason will know this, I know Craig will know this. Eric Dickerson was big, <laughs> strong, and powerful, but he didn't always have to use that that power and that strength because he was able to, A, use his speed to cut off angles, but was also able to avoid strong contact by getting through the hole and making guys miss. He was a complete runner, a complete runner in that respect, and that's who Bijan reminds me of. Right now, he's a top five, maybe top three Heisman candidate, no question. But if you're looking well, for running well, style, that was my that was my immediate thought. Well, Eric Dickerson didn't have to do all that much because Sherwood Blunt was paying him five thousand bucks a game. Well, this too, is true. So. <laughs> <laughs> but I think I think on Twitter, if we're gonna go into comparisons for Bijan Robinson, uh, there was a guy on Twitter, Shane Ware, who compared him to Le'Veon Bell, and that is a great that's, comparison. That's, that's a good one as well. That is a it's a little bit of Le'Veon Bell, and I watched a little bit of Ricky Williams. And the wiggle that Ricky has in tight areas is reminiscent of Bijan. Now, Ricky was a lot smoother of a runner, so I don't know if I would go that way. But Le'Veon Bell with a touch of Ricky. Ricky, Ricky was, a lot, Ricky like was a also a lot more powerful. I mean, was. Ricky, Ricky was bigger and Ricky, stronger. Ricky could run through a wall. I mean, Ricky was closer to Earl than Bijan is. But but I do think that, that I... I, I I kind of shy away from comps. Like, I mean, everybody on the boards likes to do comps and stuff, but I, I, I think that most fans don't really do very good comps because we just don't know enough, no, know as much as the scouts know or as much as learned analysts know. Actually, we are learned analysts. What the fuck am I talking about? We can do comps. <laughs> so, so um, I do think that Red Grange, that the Bajana, Red Grange, Jim Taylor, you know. <laughs> Quarterback must go down and he must go down hard. And so um, I do think that Bajan has a, a little bit of a unique twist to him among Texas running backs in terms of the leverage he gets in space, in, in tight space yes. from the defenders trying to pursue him. To me, he's, he's one of those guys that's a little hard to classify. He doesn't have that one skill that's at a 10. You're like Barry Sanders, break your ankles, Jim Brown, truck the fuck out of you you know Emmett Smith just you know bounce off a guy and it looks like you just like shifted him over to you like none of his body like he gets takes a hard hit bounces over loses no balance like he didn't have anything at a 10 but like everything's a nine he's so well-rounded in what he does and it seems like whatever the situation is he's got a skill that can apply to it you got a linebacker in the hole you can you can spin him you can make that subtle move and come off, you can drop your shoulder if you have to. You can, you know, hit the gas if you've got to get around the corner on outside zone, or you can put that foot in the ground and cut back. He's got great vision. He's just so well-rounded. There are a lot of guys you can compare him to on certain aspects because he's got so many components to his game. He may not be, you know, at the apex of the one guy that did that one thing the best you've ever seen but he's got such a constellation of skills with the ball in his hand that when it comes to the, the, the sum total of, we don't know what's going to happen on this run, but are you going to get five yards? 
you'd give him as good odds as just about anybody. You know, the other thing about him is that you can spin him out in the slot or run him out from a two-back set and throw it to him, and that son of a bitch is in Lockhart eating brisket before you know what the fuck happened. It's <laughs> <laughs> great. It's great. I like that. That's a, that's a beautiful painting the picture right there. But the one thing that is eliminating this offense a lot beyond Casey Thompson's arm strength, if we want to talk more about that, is the offensive line. And they're good to, you know, decent, above average run blockers. The pass blocking on that left side was a problem in last weekend's game. Particularly Christian Jones, at times, was having a lot of trouble with just inside movement and communication with the left guard, whether it was Denzel Okafor or Derek Kerstetter, whoever was that left guard, Christian Jones was just having trouble. He's supposed to be a very athletic guy. He was having trouble moving his feet. Now he was getting reached by guys who were slower than him. He was getting trucked by guys who were smaller than him. It was a lot. It was a lot of issues stemming from really just some slow feet and slow feet. Don't eat. (laughs) I like that. I like that. Oh my god, well, well, I like when, well, like when oh my goes, god, like, you just, you just, you just conquered every message board in the Texas interwebs. That was awesome. Slow feet, don't eat. Oh. Holy That's shit! A classic. Maybe, That's a classic. If you, if you, if you would listen to these guys, have y'all never, have all week, have y'all never heard that? All week, if you'd watch these guys post, it's like all these guys talking about Fitworth. Not one of these sons of bitches could paint their garage without spilling shit all over their driveway. They're talking about footwork. Slow feet don't eat. That's perfect. Love it. Love it. Awesome. Bring the strength, bitch. Bring it. Yeah. And and I will say, yeah, in, in fairness to Christian Jones in that particular game. He did get rolled up on, I think, sometime in the first half, and it yeah. seemed like he was he was somewhat hobbled. So, you know, just mm-hmm. his yeah, he's he's definitely had communication issues in multiple games, and God knows I hope they work that out before Saturday. But just on his pure ability to move his feet, you know, which he is a pretty good athlete, I, I think he was limited in that game, and that's going to be one of the big questions heading into the Red River um, shootout. I don't know why. What Red River showdown, uh, I think, stop technically call, yeah. is what it is. I, I don't shootout, no, 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 oh, it's shit, a shoot, shootout. No, it's, it's a shootout. <laughs> <laughs> heading into the shootout, you hope that that is not a you know a lingering problem because you know oh you certainly got some edge players that will absolutely tee off on him mm-hmm. as it is i mean there there are definitely holes in his game but you know some of his performance on saturday i think was due to being dinged up from somebody rolling up on him and you know hopefully that'll be somewhat abated on saturday i'll ask you guys what do you think that i'll ask all three of you because you you know more about this than I do. What do you think our ideal alignment is left to right? I mean, are you talking about post Denzel Okafor injury? Because, well, I mean, yeah, because yeah. he's not fucking there anymore, Jacob. <laughs> uh, and by the way, I feel, you know, while I, I, don't, I, I don't think Larry Allen's walking through that goddamn door. <laughs> this is true. <laughs> I feel bad for Denzel. I, while I wanted him out of the starting lineup, I didn't want him going for the year. So I, number one, I do feel right. bad for kid but um you know you're not going to see the ideal alignment because they don't have time for it but once texas gets to their bye week 
if I am Coach Flood, I am toying with 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 some things because for right now, I think the a lot the best alignment is what they're going to go with, and that is Kerstetter at right guard or left guard, and I do think that will help Christian Jones from a communication standpoint because Kerstetter knows everything. And he can play pretty much any position on the line. And I think that's going to help Jones, especially in pass protection. But if after, you know, Oak State, when they have a bye week, if I'm them, I toy with moving Christian Jones inside to left guard and putting Carrick at right tack at left tackle and moving Kerstetter back to right tackle. Because I think that alignment will I think could maximize what they're doing up front because it it minimizes to an extent what Jones has to do from a movement standpoint because right now one of the biggest things he's struggling with and I know he got rolled up on Saturday but he is struggling with his technique right now. His footwork has been terrible all season. He's not moving his feet well. He's leaning too much on guys when they make moves on him as opposed to moving his feet and staying in front. If he's at the guard position that that reduces how much he has to do that and having and, and I'm sorry Carrick is the nastiest offensive lineman we have and yeah. the kid has skills and I think putting him at one tackle spot Kerstetter at the other <laughs> and Jones at guard ultimately would be beneficial but that's something you're just not going to see until at, at earliest after the bye week no and, and the thing the thing I wonder and you guys know a lot more about offensive line play than I do is that what what is the best alignment we can have for what we do best in the running game, which is clearly outside zone and then playing off those tendencies, cut back to cut back to inside or, or split zone versus what we need to do for Casey and pass protection. As long as he's quarterback, um, it, it just, it's just the thing that concerns me is we don't feel like, I don't feel like we have a good matchup of complementary skills there. Jason, what do you think? Uh, yeah, it's it, it's a bit of a tough question because there's like, who are the best five guys who individually have get the individual skills that you want? And then how is this unit going to mesh? Because I think communication has been as big a problem as anything for them. And the uh, bleeds more into pass blocking than run blocking. But, you know, when you've had 500 in-game reps next to a guy, you're doing a combination block you know how to, yep, either you've got them and I can climb or you don't got them yet. I, I need to hold and wait and make sure we don't turn this guy loose into the backfield. So I know I, I, I kind of buy what Jacob's saying with kick Christian Jones inside. If he can, you know, pick up everything he needs to at guard, he's, you know, he's got the size, he's got the athletic ability. If that's too much of a shift for him, I'd almost say, you know, put Kerstetter back at right, put um, Carrick at left, you know, or or flip-flop them wherever they're more comfortable and try to get Hayden Connor in there and live with the growing pains for, you yeah. know, the, the upside that I think he could ultimately bring you. But, you know, it's tough for me or probably anybody, maybe even tough for, for Coach Flood at this point to say, okay, how are these guys going to mesh and communicate? And it's certainly not going to happen on Saturday, but it feels like it's more realistic for Hayden Connor to, you know, who's been playing guard to succeed there than ask Christian Jones play a new position. Then maybe that's your best assortment of talent you can put out there. But 
communication and mesh is something probably nobody can really know for sure. Will, what, what, Will, what would you do this weekend? And, and, and it's like, I, I ask you, cause you're, you're a student of it, but, but what would you do aligning, aligning this weekend and then going forward, knowing what flood has to work with and kind of with the development timeline of, of not having these guys for too terribly long. I mean, I know everybody expects instant results, but sort of what he has to work with going forward. I mean, what would you, what do you want this to look like say in late November? Uh, exactly what Jason said. I'd love to see Hayden Connor inserted in there more often than not. Uh, I think he's a good seventh or eighth guy. And now that makes him six or seven Christian Jones. It's, it's, it's weird. He is a red shirt junior, but he's also, this is his first time starting. He has, he's, he doesn't have the, what's the word I'm looking for here? Experience that you would want in the offensive line. Like offensive line is a lot about experience and, and getting the reps that you need to be a good, good player. And he, this is his first year. So, and he's playing left tackle. So it, it's going to be difficult for him. And there's going to be growing pains. Even Andres Karich, who everybody, that's everybody's favorite player right now. He, if you watch the game film from TCU, there are definitely plays where he's missing guys. He's missing assignments. And if he gets the assignment, that's a touchdown or something along those lines. But you just see the guy also at the same time, you know, pancaking a guy. So everybody's like, oh, well, look at that. You're going to experience growing pains with this offensive line, seeing as three of the guys are pretty brand new here. But let's go ahead and, and get to the defensive side of the ball against TCU because we're already 45 minutes into the damn show. <laughs> and we haven't even talked about Oklahoma. But the TCU defense, I, I want to just bring out three guys here and then we can complain about the defense, uh, which Will, really Will, I mean, there's not Will, much to complain Will. about. I, can I call time out here to try to get my son to bed? Take me like two or three minutes. Sure. Uh, hang on a second. Hey, Gray. Gray, come here. Okay. It's time for the greatest minute. What yeah. do you think about Oklahoma? I think it sucks. <laughs> What do you think about OU though? It can go to hell. <laughs> no, just give me that all in one sentence. What do you think about OU? It will suck ass and can go to hell. <laughs> These are all very okay. valid points. Okay, all very valid this points. Is, this is Texas education. This is Texas education. Okay, all right. So hope to God his mother never hears this. It's very direct and to but the point. You can I, use it. Can I go back to my singing monsters? You now? can go back to my singing monsters now. Thank you very much. You're welcome. <laughs> okay, thanks, Today's buddy. Today's episode of Fourth and Five. Love you. you. Bye. My, my singing, singing monsters. monsters. Hey, we got a sponsor, boys. Congratulations. All right. Thoughts on the defense? So let's let's go ahead and, and change gears here. Get to the defense against TCU here. I want to just get three overall thoughts, and then we'll get overall thoughts from everybody here. Going through the line of defensive line, linebacker, and defensive back, Devondre Sweat, DeMarvin Overshone, Anthony Cook. Devondre Sweat should be starting. That is, it's well past time for him to be starting at this point. He is the guy who's your nose tackle. He is using his, he's using long arms and athleticism to actually disrupt the front line. It's something that paired with uh, Mora Ojimo, I think, is would be deadly. You had DeMarvian Overshone, who towards the end of the game, he sort of became less of a factor, but he saved a lot of plays. He's still getting sucked in to the middle of trash and garbage often, 
but he makes up for a lot of mistakes with his athleticism. He reminds me of Kenneth Murray, but less of a linebacker, which going into the Oklahoma game, we should know how important it is to have that athletic of a linebacker. That's what DeMarvin Overstone gives you. And then Anthony Cook, man. I mean, talk about a guy who has just turned around his career at Texas. He went from being the the next guy up at cornerback to probably transferring to probably one of the best players on the defensive end of the field, if not the best. Um, 100% agree with you about Tavondre Sweat. Uh, Keandre Coburn, he, at this point, he doesn't deserve to be in the starting lineup. He needs to be only playing situationally. He's just not causing enough havoc up front. He's not doing enough to cause penetration and cause disruption. And, you know, no, you know, no offense to the kid, but he's just not getting the job done. Devondre Sweat should be starting. DeMarvin Overshone has been, for the most part this year, has been great. Um, I love the way he plays. His speed uh, really saves a lot. You're right. Occasionally he gets kind of caught up in the, in the muck, but he's been great. Anthony Cook's been the best defensive player on our roster. And, you know, I <laughs> I talked about last week that or I toyed with the idea of maybe Texas should move him to safety, but just to get done on the field and get your best secondary out there. But he's been so good at the position he's playing in. It's hard to justify moving him at this point. And he's just been absolutely phenomenal. Yeah, I, I have got, you know, pivoting to the overall defense, having kind of rewatched the game and decompressed from the, from the, the distress of watching it live. I feel better about the defensive effort than I did while watching it live when I was cursing and throwing things regularly. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, they, they they basically executed the plan that I'm pretty sure Kwiatkowski went in with, which was, yep, we're playing too high, we're keeping things in front of us, and we don't trust Duggan to continually execute, and we think our front six or whatever the number is now in modern football can keep us from being just, you know, annihilated by Zach Evans, annihilated by QB runs enough to let them drive down, let them make a mistake, and we're going to walk out of here with a win. It may not be pretty all the time. We're going to give yards. We'll give up some points, but we're going to walk out with a win. And I feel like from the big picture standpoint, that's what they pulled off. So... I'm less frustrated now than I was, but I think they do have to, across the board, raise the game from what we saw against TCU to come out with a win against Oklahoma. Yeah, I, that brings up a good point because Texas actually was kind of saved by Gary Patterson a few times, but really one of the big ones was him not using Zach Evans as much as he could have. Like Zach Evans could have probably gotten five to ten more carries in that game and it he I mean he was hurt in Texas. Do you think Texas will see another guy I mean we have Brees Hall, Abram Smith from Baylor, uh, you have Kennedy Brooks who's actually a really good running back at Oklahoma, Deuce Vaughn at Kansas State. Where do you put Zach Evans amongst those guys? Zach Evans is the most talented running back they'll see the rest of the year. Fit you know from just a overall talent standpoint. Brees Hall is a very good running back. Uh, Kennedy at OU, very good running back. Deuce Vaughn is a very good running back. None of them have the talent level of Zach Evans. Um, But regardless of the talent level, what Texas did on Saturday, as Jason pointed out 
very correctly, the whole idea of that game was if TCU is going to score, we're going to make them earn it. We're going to make them execute all the way down the field and have to get small pieces of your. We're not going to let them beat us over the top and get big explosive plays. You know, they may occasionally get 10-15 on a pass. They may occasionally get 10-15 on a run. But we're not going to let them beat us big down the field. And I think Kwiatkowski really gambled correctly that Zach Evans, or not Zach Evans, Max Duggan, because he isn't, is not an accurate passer. And he correctly assumed that that kid's going to make mistakes and we're going to stop them enough to limit their offense. That plan won't work quite as well against Oklahoma because Spencer Rattler's just a better quarterback, bottom line. They're going to have to get pressure on Spencer Rattler in this game or he will pick them apart. I mean, what I know about defense might rival Von Runstedt in Normandy, but uh, <laughs> I, I, do, I do think that they're going to have to get at least what I would call situational pressure against Rattler. And, and I'm not really sure you guys would know better than me how they do that. But it seems to me that on, that on, they might do that on scheduled downs where I defer. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, you hit you hit the nail on the head there. It, it's definitely on schedule downs. It's feast or famine. And if things all work out well, then you get what you saw with Anthony Cook, which is a guy coming off the edge on a play action, and it worked out perfectly and it ended up with a fumble. Most of the time, though, I mean, that's feast. And the other, but most of the time you have that famine where you have Jacoby Jones trying to turn an edge and not having the balance enough to do so. It's a lot of that. And that's what kind of scares me going into this Oklahoma game. You're talking about this. What we see from Rattler is he's best when he's on the move. And mm-hmm. he, on Saturday against Kansas State, they did a whole lot of play action rollouts to get him moving. He's very accurate. He's For whatever reason, he's not as good in the pocket. So I think you're going to see OU moving him on waggles to get him out of the pocket and have uh, options for him. What I think Kwiatkowski's going to have to do is he's going to have to take chances with some zone blitzes where he is occasionally bringing guys, a slot corner and a linebacker, for example, from both sides on the outsides to try and screw up what Rattler's trying to do and drop back a guy like a Jet Bush or uh, an Ovia Gofu or a Jacoby Jones back into his own coverage and try and mess up what Rattler's trying to do. Because the front four, look, they try hard, but we don't have consistent pressure from our defensive line. We haven't had it all year. I don't expect it to happen. They're going to have to take a few chances. Let's get into Oklahoma here. This is a huge game for Texas. Right, This is coming in a very critical part of the season, and there's a lot going on that's around the program, more so than just in this game. Right, Jason? Yeah, I mean, it's hard to overstate in any given season the importance of the OU game. From just the ethos of the fan base to, you know, since we found ourselves in the same conference the conference implications, but program-wide, it's hard to think of a game that has got more leverage to it than this one, given the fact that we've got a first-year staff 
for Texas that has been doing, you know, up and down, but right now on a pretty good trend recruiting wise, you got AM struggling badly with Calzone at QB. And they're going to continue to struggle. Yes, they will. And you've got LSU flailing and dying because you've got a position coach as your head coach. What's up, Rebnick Holmes? <laughs> <laughs> and you know, Joe, Joe Brady is and Joe Burrow are not in the house anymore. Flailing and failing, <laughs> and you've got the weekend. We're hosting recruits. We're the we're the home team. Whatever that means for the Texas U game this year, hosting recruits there. But we have got a massive haul of the top talent in the Texas and south and southwest coming in a week later for the Oklahoma State game. And if you can win this game and go beat Oklahoma State, you accelerate the process of getting Texas back to the top talent-wise, potentially, from a recruiting standpoint, you know, beyond what probably a lot of the most optimistic Texas fans could have hoped for. If you don't win this game, then you're back to you know, trying to make hay where you can. But if you win this game and you paint a picture for these top recruits that Texas is back or right on their way back ahead of schedule, you can be part of it, it could be a massive, massive impact for the program for the next five years. Yeah, and, and we're also looking at a guy in Mr. Manning himself, and Arch Manning, who is right now between probably Texas, Alabama, in Georgia, and probably also Ole Miss, but really it's more Texas and Georgia. The thing, the thing about the Texas OU game that you guys, I mean, I've been around just a touch longer um, than than some of you, and it's always been, and this is the thing that I've always told my Aggie friends is that you know there's there's really nothing that compares. To this game, it is the most unique game in college football. You have, first of all, it's at a neutral site. You have very few neutral site games. You have Georgia, Florida, which is not the Gator Bowl anymore. It's at, it's on some godforsaken fucking, you know, it's Urban Myers stripper yeah. parking lot in Jacksonville. <laughs> yes, you know. Lincoln Park and, NFT the, right and the, the Army Navy game rotates right and it's its own deal but Army Navy hasn't been relevant as far as the college football rankings have been concerned since just after the great just after the war and <laughs> yeah when, when the Germans bombed Pearl right. Harbor <laughs> exactly when the Germans bombed Pearl Harbor right <laughs> yeah hey we all remember Ernie Davis in our hearts so um. <laughs> So you have the Texas OU game, which is at the midpoint between the two schools, the State Fair of Texas, in the most historic stadium in the country besides the Rose Bowl that's still standing. And there is there is nothing you can say that increases the importance of that game for who wins. While you can recover from a loss in that game, is Mac Brown demonstrated <laughs> through his time and which, time and which, time which, again, which, you know, through his sheer incompetence, um, you cannot benefit more from a win 
in that game, then that that is the ultimate program accelerator is winning yeah. the Texas OU game. Which goes to my point about Arch Manning here. Arch Manning, he's going to make another trip to Texas pretty soon here. If well, he's can, coming on October the 16th for the Texas-Oklahoma State game. Yeah, Georgia is going to be able to sell, hey, we're heading to a national championship. We might win a national championship. I mean, if they do win the national they'll oh, be able to sell yeah. that. But also... Georgia might also be able to sell the fact that they threw more than five forward passes in one game. Yeah, well, also also they're going to be able to sell him with just cold hard cash as they as Georgia tends to do. Manning's don't worry but, about that. They got enough money. That's not the, no, that's I get not that. the deal. No, but... You want to be able to sell Arch Manning on being able to win, being able to actually look good at the quarterback position, and you can't get off to a better start there when he comes the next week with a win over Oklahoma. I, see, as, as far as far as the Manning recruitment is concerned, I, the the result of that game matters matters less to me than it would in any other context. I mean, while I think that the results of the Texas OU game means an enormous amount for the for program trajectory, I mean, the Mannings are looking for, because they you have to realize that they are thinking about that kid in terms of what prepares him best for the Sunday league. And so they don't really, they're not really worried about winning national championships. What they are worried about or what they're concerned about, they're worried about Dick to the Mannings. <laughs> they have to be worried about, right? That's, <laughs> what they are what they are interested in is preparation for the NFL. And if they think that Steve Sarkeesian gives Arch the best opportunity and the best training for the National Football League, he will come to Texas. If they think that what Georgia changes offensive coordinators is about as often as I change my fucking socks. So whoever it is at Georgia, I mean, Mike Bubba or who, who the fuck it is. Uh, I mean, if they think that that guy gives him the best opportunity to prepare for the NFL, that's where he will go. So the result of this game does not matter so much to him as it does for everybody else. And this, my friends, is as much as I will say in my entire life about recruiting. <laughs> it is all based on the vicissitudes of high school boys, and I generally give negative fucks. <laughs> <laughs> With you there. Well let's, said. let's go ahead and get into the Oklahoma <laughs> offense here, Ben. <laughs> <laughs> oh my god! That, that 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 was a that was a Hulk Hogan caliber no sell. <laughs> like after the guy hits him five times, he just like raises his hand to the audience. Like that's oh, brilliant. You cannot stop me. <laughs> Will will not be denied. Let's get to the Oklahoma offense here. What do they do well? It's classic Lincoln Riley, GT counter, attack space with air raid concepts. And really, I mean, what I love about Lincoln Riley's offenses are his creative play calling. We now have a guy of our own who does creative play calling, but Lincoln Riley is the OG of it in the modern version of this rivalry. Actually, it was Mike Leach who was the OG of it, but... Or, um... 
very guys from the 1920s. But, but anyway, I'm talking about I'm the, talking about when it comes yes. to the air raid. Yeah, the the N the N O G the yes. new O G the new O G. Yes, I'm the, talking about the N O G. I mean, I'm talking purely in the modern version of this game, like in the past two decades or more so since I've been paying attention, which is since I've been alive, which is Mac Brown and Bob Stoops. Who so. is the OG there? I mean, who is it? I mean, if you're going to go into the modern offense, it, it probably goes back to around Mike Leach. I mean, he's, he's one, of, he's one of the originators of what you see in college football today. Oh, a single tear, a single tear runs down Dana X. Biden's <laughs> cheek. But regardless, Oklahoma's offense is is less than the sum of its parts right now. It absolutely Oklahoma is. is not going on all cylinders. And a lot of people are blaming Spencer San- Spencer Rattler here. Spencer Sanders, whoever. <laughs> One of those guys. Um, <laughs> Spencer Sanders has, in, has infiltrated the OU <laughs> QB room, suspended Mission Impossible style <laughs> to fuck up their playbooks. And... <laughs> Derail Spencer Rattler. <laughs> but Spencer Rattler, I mean, here's the thing about Spencer Rattler. Though. He's still good. He's a little inconsistent. But as Jacob said, he's better out of the pocket than he is in the pocket right now. It seems like he gets in his head at times, but he is still a very, very good quarterback. It's really it's really curious. Oklahoma this year has the best defense that they've ever had under Lincoln Riley. But they have the worst offensive line and the worst skill position set of skill position players that they've had as well, and so it's kind of screwing up what Riley wants to do out there on the field when it comes to play calling. Look, uh, Rattler's good. He's been hampered by his O line. He's been hampered by his receivers at times. But the bottom line, as you saw Saturday against K State, that was their best game of the year and their most efficient game of the year offensively. He was twenty-two out of twenty-five. Uh, he took what was there from K-State, and he just picked them apart. And he has that ability to do it. And that's why Texas has to be aggressive against him on Saturday, because despite the limitations they have, their offensive line, at least if you look at Saturday, is, is starting to gel. But you've got to get pressure on him, because if you do, and you saw this on Saturday as well, if you pressure him, he'll give you the ball. He will absolutely mm-hmm. give it to you, and you, you just have to. You know, his na- it's in his name. you got to rattle him. I mean, in what you're talking about, they don't have a C.D. Lamb this year. They don't have an Adrian Peterson. They don't have, you know, Joe Mixon, whoever. They don't have they don't have that one guy out there in the skill position players. You thought that was going to be Marvin Mims this year. Maybe it was going to be Mario Williams. Maybe it was going to be whoever. Maybe that was going to be Eric Gray. Kenny Brooks is a good running back. He's not a great he- – he's a – He's a good to great. He's not a great. He's not one of the top running backs in the in the conference this year. They don't have that. They don't and, and their offensive line, they're really missing Creed Humphrey this year. They they really are missing that that interior guy who is just the gel. And a lot of inexperience on that on that offensive line is causing a few problems. I mean, they're great, still really good when it comes to pass blocking, but their run blocking is is not good. And that allows other teams to really play off of them in coverage and not be as afraid of the GT counter as they were in the years past. And that's really, I mean, the GT counter is the the crux, what Oklahoma's offense leans on. Jason, I'll let you talk, I mean, I'll let you get into that, but allowing now that they teams can back off and take away more op- opportunities to throw deep, it's really limiting the ability of this offense. 
Yeah, I, I think looking at the Oklahoma offense, the limitations that Rattler has, at least at this point, are pretty clear. You have a guy that you want to get pressure on, number one. <laughs> Relative to many Oklahoma offenses of the past, you're less worried about their ability to just kill you one play deep, whether it's you know a somewhat lessened roster of skill guys or Rattler's inability to hit it. But, you know, one of the big things I've noticed watching a couple of their games, particularly the K-State the K game, it seemed like his, you know, his honey hole was right down the middle of the field, 15 to 20 yards, and he wasn't that successful outside of that. So I think if you can take that read away from him, whether it's dropping Brockermeyer over Schoen deep, you can't really take them out of the run fits, whether you get creative and try to have sort of a three safety look or somebody that can roll back into that hole in the middle of the field and take what looks like his favorite read away or get creative on pressure. I feel like you can get him pretty uncomfortable and try to live with the possibility that he's not going to be able to hit you deep, but that would be kind of the the foundation of my game plan is find a way to get pressure creatively. I don't know if it's like zone blitz and dropping guy off because he's not going to get deep enough to disrupt that. But if you've got somebody as athletic as overshown, you can roll back into that 15, 20 yard gap where he's been hitting most of his successful throws or you're rolling a safety into that. That would be kind of the foundation of my game plan to try and disrupt what he's doing best and try to, you know, in Bill Belichick terms, make him beat you left-handed. That's what I've been trying to figure out is how we can get pressure on Rattler on sort of specified circumstances where we're not selling out on schedule down. So, I mean, Jacob, what, what do you think about how we should do that? The pressure to me, you're going to have to mix it up a little bit. I, you know, I blitzing has worked, especially when you use a guy like Anthony Cook but I really do think that they're going to have to get a little bit creative on Saturday and maybe use one of the linebackers as well, whether that linebacker's coming up the middle at him to get into his face or whether he's coming from the opposite side. But I would not mind seeing a little bit of double blitz action with your slot corner and your linebacker to you know because they run so much of that play-action waggle stuff. If you bring guys from both sides, you're sending a guy either chasing him down on the backside as well as somebody getting into his face – but you've got to have somebody covering that short dump off route if you do it. Well, if if you could if you could design the game plan defensively, what would it look like? Well, I mean that's going to be what we're going into next. I mean this def- defensively, I mean I I would take away the the run game first, but it's interesting. Uh, that's I mean that's what you want to do against Oklahoma every year. But it's interesting this year as we're talking about this year, you don't have to develop you don't have to put an entire box worthy of guys to really stop that run game I mean Candy Brooks is probably is a very good as I said a very good running back Eric Gray is a is a good running back he's decent Jeremiah Hall is a very good fullback and they have a bunch of guys who can hurt you in you know short to you know intermediate to long range Austin Stogner's very good Marvin Mims is very good Jane Hazelwood's good Mari Williams Michael Willard's and then Drake Stoops as well. All they just have a slew of guys who are good, 
and actually great, but it's it's the run game that you're you're caring about here. And again, the run game blocking is at least right now not the greatest for Oklahoma. So just getting finding a way to stop that with taking as many guys out of the box as possible, sort of dare them to run. Keep a light box, but also be ready to stop that run. Keep everything They've in front generally, of Generally, the defensive front, as much as we've railed on them for not being able to get consistent pass pressure, the, the defensive front for Texas this year has actually been pretty solid at stopping the run. I know what the numbers were on Saturday against TCU, but you're talking about an elite running back, number one, and a quarterback who really does like to use his legs. Rattler can run, but he does not like to use his legs as much as Duggan does. And so you're, you're going to be facing a guy who would rather throw than run on Saturday. And Texas this year has been pretty solid in stopping the other team's run games outside of Arkansas in the second half. So, you know, I, I am, I'm confident in their ability to slow down the run game. I just want to make sure that they kind of screw up the timing with Rattler and try to get guys into his face to uh, make him do what we've seen him do in the past, and that's make mistakes. All right, let's pivot to the Oklahoma defense here. So Oklahoma, again, this defense, Alex Grinch has them playing violently this year. They're pretty nasty. However, they're not what Oklahoma fans were expecting this year. I mean, they, they kind of are, but they're still a little bit less. The sum is a little less than the parts here. I, they're still very, very good, though. And particularly up front, that defensive line is... Is pretty nasty. Nick Benito is a special player this year. Uh, he was last year. I mean, this year, the fact that he came back is, I mean, he's a special player. He's he's good in the pass rush. He can bend that corner. He's good in run protection. Uh, he can be used all over the field. Yeah, he's a linebacker, sure. He's the jack. He's kind of what Joseph Osai was last year for the Longhorns. Yeah, I uh, my biggest worry on Saturday is uh, Nick Bonito matching up either with Christian Jones or – Carrot getting his first start just because of the the pressure he is able to bring. But don't discount Mm -hmm. Isaiah Thomas at the defensive end position, uh, as well as Perrion Winfrey, who has been fantastic this year as a nose tackle. Uh, I mean, we've seen it this year with Major having some issues with guys lined up over him. Uh, Winfrey is the kind of guy who can give him issues on Saturday. Um, You know, I've said this earlier, but I've kind of compared – Oklahoma's defense to uh, to the Washington football team in the NFL and the fact that they really generate a lot of pressure up front, but if you can get them blocked, you can have some success behind them because their linebackers are decent, but their secondary is just average at best. And you saw some of that, especially in the first half of the K-State game on Saturday against Oklahoma. K-State did a really good job early on of blocking that defensive front and you know sometimes it was little short dump offs and little release valve throws uh from skylar thompson or it was draw plays so they didn't get huge chunks but they were able to move the ball consistently and just completely suck the life out of oklahoma by dominating time of possession i would not mind at all seeing that on saturday from texas but the texas players have the i in my opinion at least can turn some of those plays that K-State had into bigger chunk plays because of the talent that they have. They just You have to get those guys up front blocked, and if you do, you're going to have success. I, I would agree with that. Jason, what do you think? The 
kind of macro chess match to me is how much each team is probably going to want to bring a lot of pressure in this. Because if you're looking at this as a chess match, for all the, you know, the reasonable to pretty good skill position talent that OU has, there's one queen on the chessboard, and it's B. John Robinson. And if B. John Robinson has got yep. 25 carries heading into the fourth quarter and is about to get 10 more because Texas is ahead or close and can grind that defense into the dirt, then Texas is looking really good to win that game. If I'm Lincoln Riley, if I'm Alex Grinch, that's not a scenario I want. So I'm willing to roll the dice, bring a lot of heat, try to create negative plays, and try to you know force Texas to either you know, go three and out or hey, if Casey Thompson hits the throws he hasn't made all the year, great. And then from Texas standpoint, you've seen a quarterback in Rattler who has been very effective in that short intermediate passing game. Also not great deep, but do you want to get picked apart by, you know, eight, 10 yard Brooks runs, bunch of, you know, bunch of short immediate throws, or do you want to put pressure on a guy who has also shown a willingness to give you the ball when he feels the heat or and give you a shot to, you know what? If it's three and out, great. For Starver, great. If they have a one shot, one <laughs> one play touchdown, you know what? Bijan's back on the field. So I think you may see a game that while the numbers say it'll be pretty close, could go one way or the other because both defenses are willing to roll the dice, bring pressure, and whoever you get home may tell the story of the game. Yeah, and Oklahoma's defensive line should, on paper, out you know outperform Texas. We'll see. I mean, this game you, you can never tell what's going to happen. But again, as as Jacob was talking about, when you get to the next level, the linebackers are good, not great. Uh, Deshaun White, I like the guy. I've liked him since he was a since he was a recruit. Texas had a shot at getting him. Same with Kenneth Murray, the guy who came before him. He's not as athletic as Kenneth Murray. He's still a smart player. You can't make the plays that Kenneth Murray can make. Uh, and then when it comes to the defensive backs here, that's where my the sum you know the sum is less than the parts. I have been to almost forty Texas OU games, and I can tell you that the vast majority of the time that what we think will happen, what all the abacus jockeys might project can happen means jack fucking shit. Oh yeah. Because once you go down that tunnel and I've been in that tunnel myself, when I was a reporter, I was I was granted permission to go down that tunnel with the team. It means nothing. The only thing that matters is you are in that cauldron of the greatest game in college football. And nothing matters. The records yeah, no. don't matter. The statistics don't matter. Nothing matters. And... I mean, I'm a, I'm a seam head, all right? So I'm a baseball guy. So, of course, I'm a believer in analytics. But I can tell you that when you, when you walk down that tunnel, nothing else matters. Yeah, and 
Texas and Oklahoma both have one of the top 10 defense uh, offenses in the nation. They both have, they're both top of the rate and score rate points per drive EPA. And that's why I'm a hundred percent sure it's going to be a slug fest, rock fest defensive battle. <laughs> and that's why, that's why that, that is why after all this time, after this hour of intense analysis of all this, all this stuff we've been talking about that you should be asking me where Craig, where is the honey hole beer line? <laughs> Where's the honey hole beer line? Well, he's not going to tell you because then it wouldn't be the honey hole beer line anymore. <laughs> so anyways, back to the defensive backs for Oklahoma. <laughs> <laughs> oh, this is, this is, oh, this is so great. Delarian Turner yell. Key Lawrence, Pat Fields, Justin Broyles. They have Billy Bowman, Jaden Davis. We saw all saw the, the interception G.J. Graham made. They're all great players. They're okay in coverage, and they just can't tackle. It just, it just doesn't make sense, their defensive backs field. But, Jason, Jacob, Craig, what are the keys for Texas's offense against this, de- against this Oklahoma defense? Yeah, I mean, the the number one key would be hit the deep throws they'll give you. That's iffy, but you mentioned the poor tackling, and that's something you saw K-State have success with against them time and time again, was throw a little outlet pass to the sideline, and then their little weird elfin water bug Frodo back made about five guys miss. They are not good tacklers, whether it's they were too spread out, whether it is they're thalidomide babies, it's hard to say. But <laughs> but if you can get the ball out in space to, you know, be Jean Bierman choice, but you've got a number of guys, if they'll catch the damn ball, can do major damage to that defense if you can get the and that may be what's successful for Texas. If you've got a quarterback that you're not sure you can hit the deep ball, you can still get chunk gains by pulling the defense one way with outside zone or something else, hitting somebody in space, hitting somebody in the sideline, and then relying on their ability with the ball to be better than OU's ability to tackle in space. I'm, I'm a baseball guy. I, I will tell you the simplest way to do this is hit two guys deep, even one guy deep, and then ride the gravy train of Bajan and Rojo. That's it. It's as simple as that. If they can find a way to hit one of those early, there's a big possibility that you could get in the head of the OU defense. But I, I, I mean, I, I really do think that because they haven't seen us really hit that the last couple of weeks. Um, but beyond that, I, I really think it comes to, it, it's a simple thing. It really just comes down to how, that offensive line handles that Oklahoma defensive front. That is for Texas. That is the key to the football game is how if the Texas offensive line can, for the most part, keep that OU defensive front out of the Casey Thompson's face and out of the backfield on running plays, they're going to have success. And you're, you're going to want to do that with the most successful play that you, this offensive line knows the outside zone all day long. They're vulnerable on the edges when it comes to the outside zone. And yeah, and another point to 
extol outside zone is at least in the first part of the Kansas State game you watch OU play, they ran a tackle instant like a double tackle in stunt so much that it looked like it was their base defense. And if you're running the outside guy inside and relying the on the inside guy to go outside against outside zone, you've got a real problem because you've got now two guys pinned inside yep. and Bijan catching the corner against a bad tackling linebacker and secondary unit. So I feel like right. leaning on that, you know, we think it's our best play week in, week out, but particularly for a defense that likes to play games up front and likes to come downhill early with the linebackers and even safeties, that feels like it has to be your bread and butter in this game to you know make the OU defense play left-handed, make them play honest, and you know neutralize some of their advantages and take advantage of some of the disadvantages. All right, I'm going to give y'all your Sean Connery minute. You all have right, all right, minute. all right. Go for it. Go for it. Yeah, this is the hate week, <laughs> and it should be full of hate. You should hate the Shunish. You should hate the Shunish like Daniel Craig hated playing James Bond in the last two movies. You should hate the Shunish like I hated appearing in the League of Extraordinary Gentlemen. You should hate the Shunish like a Presbyterian hates a Catholic wafer or something. <laughs> I wasn't clear in the last part. But the important thing is you should walk down that tunnel of hate. You should spin in an athletic manner and point your Walter PPK directly through Lincoln Riley's fucking eyes. And you should squeeze your hate trigger as hard as you can and watch the red blood of the Crimson Sooners drip down the screen because you penetrated them deeply and savagely with your hate. That is the meaning of Texas OU. Okay. <laughs> that went a little darker than I was expecting from from Sir Sean. But it well, is I'm, hate week. I'm dead now. What do you expect? <laughs> <laughs> All right, guys. Before we get into our, our exit out here, I want to just give a big shout out to our Kool-Aid drinkers, our Patreon second tier. Uh, and really, there, there's only one. The lovely Brittany M. Thank you so much for joining us in our Patreon tier. We really appreciate you supporting the show here. You're awesome. You're awesome. But now let, let's get back. Let's get back into, the, into getting out of here. Thank you all so much for listening to the show, especially you, Brittany. This has been 4th and 5, your Lawhorn Nation podcast. We'll start off with our guest here, Craig, W.W. McClyde. Mr. McClyde, where can we find you on the internet? Uh, on Twitter, W.W. McClyde. Thank you for joining us. We appreciate it, as always. You are a, uh, you are a, a valued member of Texas Internets. Uh, <laughs> Jacob, where can we find you, man? At Kips underscore big underscore boy on Twitter. Mr. Chilton? Yes, you can find this dickhead at K-N-O-W, the game, 60, at 
what is it? Twitter? No, it's is it Twitter.com? I've forgotten. Just I, I don't know. Just follow Will. He'll probably retweet him. Twitter, please delete. You guys, you guys can computer, please delete. You guys can find all of us on the Discord in there. Just add us there. Our names are in there. Or you guys can find me, your host, Will Bazer. On Twitter at W-I-L-L-B-A-I-Z-E-R. And you guys can find more episodes like this one on the Hornscast channel on Twitter. So just on Hornscast.Twitter. Uh, we appreciate y'all listening, and we will see y'all next week. Hook'em. 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 Oh, you sucks. <laughs>